Jim, for anyone who is listening to this for the first time, will you say who you are? My name is Jim Hamblin. I'm a writer at The Atlantic, and I'm a preventive medicine public health physician. And that's all, that's all I am. That's all. There's nothing else to you. No, well, there's some dimensionality in terms of artistic ability when it comes to various <laughs> musical <laughs> proclivities, but um, for another time. For another time. We can edit out the laughter, I, I think. <laughs> I'm Catherine. I'm a podcast producer, and I am one-dimensional. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. Anyway, um, it seems like New York is really becoming a problem. What's the situation in New York right now? The U.S. is on pace to have the most confirmed cases in the world, and that is being led by far by New York State and by far by New York City. And partly that's because we're we're testing a lot, but also we've just started practicing real social distancing within the last week, week and yeah. a half, and mm-hmm. will not fully shut down at all. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on, and it's getting real serious. So we're in this stage where we're entering government-requested or enforced social distancing measures, and already there are starting to be questions about whether this is too extreme, you know, that this is going to totally damage the economy, and, you know, most restaurants and bars are already closed, um, certainly all of them in New York. Well, it is definitely going to be economically disastrous. It already is. People are phrasing it as if there's some way that we could get around one of these consequences, but you can't. It's like saying we should, there, there's a, a category four hurricane happening outside and you realize that sheltering in place will be um, bad, but it doesn't solve things to just go back outside during the storm. Some people have proposed like more strategic shutdowns, which I, yeah, that's definitely what you would have in an ideal situation, but you need better testing. I mean, if we don't have widespread testing, we just have to shut everything down. And now people are saying, well, wait, why couldn't we just shut things down in targeted areas where it was most needed? And yeah, we'll, we'll get to that point, but we just don't have the capacity now. So it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. So this is really what we want to talk about today, the cure versus the disease, quote unquote. So we want to talk about that. And we're going to call Derek Thompson, who's a writer um, covering the economy. But first, I wanted to ask you something. Yeah. You know, we keep talking about how restaurants and bars have shut down. One of the places I would have been this week or last week, I was planning on going to Austin to visit my brother who is a bartender, and I was going to go hang out with him, relax, basically have a vacation, and that hasn't happened. So um, I was going to bring my brother in to talk to us about what's going on in Austin. Um, yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. We've never met. I've never met your brother before. Can you hear me? Hey. So, hey, Sam. Hi. I'm Jim. Howdy. Um, howdy. <laughs> no, I've, I I don't. I need to get more comfortable with saying howdy. You just you just practice it, and then it comes up naturally. <laughs> so, Sam, I was just telling Jim that last week I was supposed to be in Austin hanging out with you, right? And I'm not because the right. world's falling apart completely. I was gonna come by your bar. Well, so obviously, as per pretty much any non-essential service, we got a, a text from the GM and owner that said, we're going to close for two weeks. 
And then I think the next day, uh, Austin shut down any sort of bar and restaurant. They shut it down until May 1st at minimum. And what have you been doing since then? Uh, a lot of Netflix, <laughs> filing for unemployment, uh, things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I was asking Jim about how I could like decompress and is it okay to have a drink? And he said no. Right. I, I mean, it, uh, that's an oversimplification. Right. <laughs> right. I, I mean, if I talk about the medical aspects, I'll probably get pretty quickly out of my depth. But, uh, you know, ethanol is a super volatile compound. And there's a reason why it's a disinfectant and can be used for fuel. Uh, and it's no mean feat for your body to metabolize it. Um, and so, it, you know, it's a, it's a full body thing to, to consume alcohol. Very well stated. Right. Uh, right. And so you need, you know, this is a time where we're all putting a premium on our immune systems. And it, in some way, compromises that. From a theoretical aspect, I, you know, I would love to just be day drinking shandies all day, but you got to be kind of sensible about it. It's yeah. a real slippery slope when you're just sitting at home uh, without things to to do or pl- physically places to be. Right. Yeah. And and, and given kind of the, <laughs> we're all sort of despairing and maybe bored and, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of professional mm-hmm. ennui. It seems very attractive, but I've certainly had to keep myself from just drinking a day away. Yeah. So Sam, what do you miss most about bars the first thing i noticed probably day two of last week uh, the my first period of not working was how much you know the several hours of a shift or you know however long a shift was and then the two hours of camaraderie afterward were so important to my social life um in a way that you you know you can't really get with a phone call or you know a video chat and I remember, you know, again, day two, just kind of sitting up in bed and going, what do I do? Not just for uh, what, I'm, what am I going to do with, you know, the hours of the day, but how do I get this social interaction that is so critical? Do you, I mean, have you heard this, this idea that the cure is worse than the disease? Yeah. Yeah, it's this movement that has been condemned, but it's going to grow. I mean, the sentiment is strong. What, what, what do you make of this? Because you've been directly impacted by the cure. Right. Right. In the same way, like Jim said about stepping out into the hurricane, the longer you sit, the longer you don't have paychecks, that becomes a more attractive option. But uh, I mean, personally, I think that's a function of underreporting and maybe people not understanding how how severe this is. I mean, the economy also doesn't function if everyone, you know, there are a bunch of dead people. (laughs) It just doesn't. That's true. And so I guess my line of thinking here is just like, it, it's almost a moot discussion, the open it back up thing, if even like 15 or 20 percent of people decide not to go out right. or to go out much less because restaurants and bars don't operate with huge profit margins where they can just have three bad months. And I, so, you know, even if we tolerated, say, two million American deaths and we left everything open, um, I think the, the businesses would still take a loss because p- people will get terrified by all of that carnage. And e- even if half of people chose to completely disregard everything, th- that wouldn't be enough to sustain shops and restaurants. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going off. But anyway, like, no. that's my question for you is like, is that even on the table? Or is this just kind of... Right. No, that's a that's an excellent point about the margins being so thin that, you know, you, especially in Austin, uh, places kind of 
come and go very quickly. You know, it doesn't necessarily take a pandemic to, to shutter a lot of these places. It's, it's been happening for, for years now just because of, you know, changing trends. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't think it would be viable anyway to reopen. Get, given but what does that mean for you? I mean, this is your career. Right. I'm just curious, like... I mean, it, it's tough for me to... <laughs> I, uh, I really don't know. Um, and when it comes back, it certainly won't be the same. Again, to the margin point, even given a two-week closure, some places wouldn't be able to survive that. And given a six-week closure, even more places. And if we go to six months, which seems likely, it'll be a different landscape afterward. Bars will reopen, and there will be bartending jobs, but it just won't look the same. And there'll be a lot of bartenders. Uh, just restaurant, well, any employee of really any service industry just going to be competing for fewer jobs is what it seems like. How worried are people you know, Sam? Uh, some of it, I think, is unspoken. But given my social sphere, everybody's pretty pretty nervous. Yeah. Uh, maybe Same. maybe saying they're nervous undersells it, really. Well, what is the word you would use? Um, mm, not hopeful. I guess that's two, but... Hopeless. Hopeless. There you go. That sounds <laughs> somehow much worse. Well, and I, I think as a, just as a, a final point, if there's a, you know, a bartender advice thing I could give, it would be that, you know, aside from the obvious health risks, you know, there's a, there's a psychological aspect to drinking that I think is really damaging in terms of working on yourself or uh, applying yourself to hobbies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's going to be so critical right now. You know, it's just a drain on your, your sleep and your emotions and, and um, that could be really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And mo mocktails exist. True. Okay, can you give us a good mocktail recipe? Uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, something like a, a Paloma is pretty easy to, to make and is interesting sans booze. What would I do if I wanted to make a mocktail Paloma? I guess without booze, if you if you go the really original route, it's just grapefruit soda and salt. But if you get fresh grapefruit juice and you make a, a home simple syrup, which is really easy... Salt rim, Topo Chico, um, and it's kind of delicious. That sounds good. It, it feels more like a drink than just uh, grapefruit soda. Let's put that in the show notes. Okay. We're going to give you a recipe and put it in the show notes. That's <laughs> Perfect. It. Uh, thank you, Sam. Thank you for talking to us. I'll, I'll Thanks, call you later. Okay. Thanks, Joe. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello. Uh, speaking of hopelessness. <laughs> hey, Derek. Hey. Okay. So. What is going on with the economy? <laughs> uh, it's a really good question. The short answer is that um, no good news is going to come from the economy in the next three months. Uh, we're probably looking at the worst decline in GDP in the second quarter this year in American history. But I should stress that typically, like, that would be a purely bad thing. But in this case, I think we need to wrap our heads around the fact that a stark decline in GDP is evidence that something good might be happening. And that something good is the fact that you do have massive, relatively unprecedented amounts of social distancing happening all over the country. And so the reason that you know, restaurant revenue has declined to zero and a lot of physical retail uh, revenue has declined to zero is because no one is gathering uh, in crowds and places that they used to be. 
and we should be rooting for that. So it's just a really bizarre time, I think, for um, economics because it's it's this moment where, in, in fact, the the smartest economic decisions aren't really about economics at all. They're about public health. Um, and that's sort of, I think, turned a lot of economic thinking on its head. Right. So I would love for y'all to break this down for me because the phrase, the cure is worse than the, we can't let the cure be worse than the disease is now being used by the president. You might be able to say that's kind of just uh, Trump's way of speaking about this. But then I was looking, I, I ran across an article in the Times. A friend of mine actually sent it to me and was like, what do you think about this? It's an op-ed by Thomas Friedman, a plan to get America back to work. Some experts say it can be done in weeks, not months. And the economy and public health are at stake. And it's kind of arguing that we are too quickly getting on board with this idea of extreme social distancing for a long time. And that's <laughs> going to have its own consequences. No. So I'm trying to figure this out. And it does seem like, I mean, given the fact that some friends sent this to me and have been debating it on a WhatsApp, like, yeah, it seems like it's, these things are actually being discussed. So it misframes the debate. The harder that mm -hmm. you shut down, the shorter this will last. The possibility then is that we have this catastrophe where we don't close things down. All of our healthcare systems get quickly overrun. No one can even see a doctor for basic care. There's lines, there's people dying in the street waiting to get into a hospital. Everyone gets completely freaked out, doesn't want to leave their home. Restaurants and bars operate at 20% capacity or something. So they'll still go out of business. And lots of people will get sick and die and the economic consequences of that would be terrible. There's no way to save the economy. Opening everything up will not save the economy. Right. Do you agree with that, Derek? I think there is a way to save the economy. And it starts with fixing the public health problem, that you have to sequence this. There's, there's no such thing as saving an economy wherein millions of people are also dying because of a pandemic that's running roughshod through a officially opened economy. That doesn't make any sense. So after spending a lot of the last two weeks talking to economists and public health experts about this, it seems to me that what we need to do is, is very simple. They were very simply stated, but also very complex, I guess, in its operation. It's that we need to press a really hard pause button. We need a sudden freeze in the economy to arrest the spread of the virus through the economy. You know, I've been talking to the employment minister of Denmark, and uh, what Denmark has done is really, really bold, I think fascinating, and also correct. They've essentially said, look, we've asked families and businesses to hold their breath for the next three months. The only way that they're going to survive, the only way they're going to be able to eat, the only way that the businesses are going to be able to get through this summer is if we essentially pay them to hold their breath. We are, they're going to give uh, employers uh, up to 90% of their employees' wages as a grant from the government to make sure that people who stay home and stay out of work are still paid essentially their full salary. They've offered to pay fixed costs for businesses. That's like rent and contract obligations, uh, loan obligations. Um, they've offered to bolster unemployment insurance. They've offered to backstop loans that can go out to small businesses to um, help sort of bridge this time between the economy crashing and hopefully the economy recovering. They have a really, really bold plan that's going to cost about 12 to 13 percent of GDP uh, over the next three months. It's essentially the equivalent of the United States spending $2.5 trillion in the next 13 weeks. 
that's the appropriate size. And those are the appropriate measures of a plan that I think the US needs. We need to find a way to pay people to be unemployed in the medium term. Um, and that I think is the best chance. So Denmark is just floating the entire country for three months. Yes, they're floating the whole country. They're just like, I got you for three months. Exactly. They're saying, I got you. They've got the bar tab of all of Denmark's GDP for the next 13 weeks. That was a really great themed pun. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and what, what the reason, and I think Jim will appreciate this, the reason that this is not only such a good economic plan, but also such a great public health plan, is that people are more likely to stay home and not congregate in the streets or force themselves back to work if they're being paid a living wage to stay home. And so it's an economic plan that ensures that the public health experts get what they want, which is to starve the virus of contagious spread in the short term and allow the health system to deal with people who are really, really sick and have to get to the hospital. Health comes first and economics comes seventh. You have to make sure that we fix the pandemic and then we can worry about the economy in the second half this year or next year. Yeah. And just that there would be economic collapse if you close nothing. Like the, the things would close themselves. It is a hurricane out there. Going out in the hurricane does not make it go away. And that's the only thing that I know. And yes, that sounds like that hard restart would be the shortest path to economic recovery. Um, but I, I don't think it would actually happen though, right, Derek? I mean, can that we don't have the cohesive vision here in this country to do something like that. No, I, we don't have the culture and we don't have the leadership. You know, the U.S. is a highly individualistic culture. It's a federalized system where uh, cities and states have much more control than they might in, in some Northern European countries. Nevertheless, I have been hearing and reading a handful of, of pretty promising measures coming out of Washington where lawmakers seem to understand the scale of this crisis. They seem to understand that a relief package will have to cost about $2 trillion. And there's a lot of talk about, say, bumping up unemployment insurance to make sure that it's paying something very, very close to a living wage in the next four months. Um, because there's no way for people who lose their job in retail or restaurants or, or uh, being a bartender, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to find a job. So you want to make sure that you give them a living wage um, to survive until July. You think that might happen? Yeah, I do think it could happen. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in a lot of different aspects of the government. But when Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, is talking about the number two trillion, uh, when uh, centrist Democrats like Chuck Schumer are talking about bumping up unemployment insurance to 100% of benefits for some workers, when I hear some of the measures that are being talked about for small and medium-sized business bailouts that are massive in the hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, at least we're talking about the scale. At least we're right about the scale. You know, just to, to go back to 2009 briefly, to the, to the Great Recession, one of the biggest problems that we had with the Great Recession is that we probably needed a $2 trillion stimulus and we passed something closer to $900 billion. But now what we need is a $2.5 trillion stimulus and we're talking about $2 trillion. So the reason that I'm somewhat optimistic is that, to use Jim's language, the hurricane is so obvious. It's so obvious. It's impossible to ignore the fact that the hurricane covers the entire globe, that you have lots of leaders in lots of different countries who are reacting really, really strongly. And the stronger someone acts in Denmark or the UK or Netherlands, the more that de-risks 
the next strong mover in the chain. That more it, it makes someone in the U.S. feel like, wow, we really have to move too if everyone else is moving. So that's why I'm somewhat optimistic, but you know, uh, I, I don't have a lot of trust in our leaders at the moment. Yeah, but that's what then what makes people like Thomas Friedman start to say you're engaging in groupthink, also that everyone's overreacting, and that line of logic for anything is all was pervasive in science and medicine. Like it's it's anti-vax to a T. When as soon as everyone starts to vaccinate, and it becomes thought of as just necessary and good. There will there will be a strain of people who start to be like, hmm, everybody else is just a sheep. They're not thinking about all the other potential side effects of what we're doing, are they? And they're like, no, yeah, actually, it was an extremely deliberate decision. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to, we need to keep doing it. Um, and you're not a brave thinker for trying to push back against that. But people, people are already doing it and will continue to. So, well, yeah, I, um, I haven't read the Thomas Treatment op ed. All I'll say is that if his optimism about the coronavirus is anything like his optimism about the Iraq war, then we should absolutely discard the substance of that op-ed because uh, as facile a writer as he can be, I think he might be cursed by optimism. And I see no reason to look at the Western hemisphere and think uh, that any of these countries are overreacting. All of their health systems seem to be totally overwhelmed at the moment. And I would much prefer to overreact for 13 weeks. I mean, 13 weeks is, is all Denmark is talking about. They're not talking about um, shutting down the economy for 18 months. They're talking about shutting it down for, for three months. Um, let's overreact a little bit for once in the short term and you know, just maybe save several hundred thousand lives in the process. And, and actually give us time to make masks, to find ther- therapies, to build extra hospitals, to build ventilators, and take care of the people we can. Um, that, that, that buying that time is so crucial. And I think that's what I may have overestimated, like how long this will last. And I think people are getting freaked out when they're like, we can't just shut everything down for nine months. Um, but the harder you shut down, the shorter it'll, it'll last. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's an okay. interesting thread that we should note right now is what the president of the United States is saying. And we'll, we can revisit that in maybe a week and see if it still makes any sense to anyone. Yeah. Okay, Derek, I, <laughs> is there anything we, we I, this felt very um, comprehensive to me. Is there anything you think we're missing? Uh, yeah, I'll just say like one more thing. Yeah. As, as long as we're talking about, about economics and life, um, there are insurance companies that put a statistical value on human life. Uh, that median number tends to be around $7 million, $8 million. Um, if you multiply $7 million by 600,000 deaths, that's a total loss of $4.2 trillion. So the idea that there's like a, a human life calculation or an economic calculation is actually not true. Uh, you can make an economic calculation about the value of human life, and it suggests that an attempt to save the number of lives that we think dramatic social distancing can save is, is absolutely measured in the trillions of dollars. So it is absolutely worth shutting down huge parts of the U.S. economy in order to save that many uh, individual lives. Yeah. Very coldly rational argument. That, I understand <laughs> if you, that. If you needed that's what a cold some rational argument... No, there I, it is. yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, no, it's and some people do. I know, yeah, I know that this is not right. This is not like the the the, the first thing that comes to mind. I think no, life. But as long as there are people 
who are making this equivalence, who are saying, you know, there's, there's economics and then there's public health and they're on parallel tracks. If we force them to be on the same track, then that track suggests that we should be willing to spend up to a quarter of the economy to save 600,000 lives. That's really helpful. So if you needed your, your uh, sort of sociopathic economic calculation, <laughs> there it is. Someone's going to be like, oh, I was going to, I was for letting everybody die. But now that I see the numbers. <laughs> um, thank you, Derek. I am really looking forward to a time when we can all go have a drink together. A moderate size. Yeah, no, moderate, right. responsible I, drink. I would love in to an go open out bar. and have a normal, regulated social drinking experience with you at some point in the future. I would love that as well. I cannot wait. I cannot wait meantime, to drink moderately with both of you. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm going to make myself a mocktail. <laughs> uh, thanks okay. so much, Derek. Right, bye, guys. Talk Take care. Later, Derek. Bye. Bye. Well, we've done it. Another day. Yeah. Another I don't know pod. if we really need an outro uh, unless you... No. This is where if we had so. some sort of standard thing that said, write to us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com, please subscribe to The Atlantic, call yeah, us Yeah, we at, could do it. Yeah. Whatever that number is. And, and this show today is produced by Kevin Townsend. That's what we would say. Be safe. Do not uh, engage in uh, false equivalents about uh, opening or shutting. Um, the economy. And watch out for those drinks. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, okay. I hope I didn't come off terrible on this. but that's No, my no. Job. That's I think my job. people need to know. I do think it's um, a real concern that alcoholism yeah. will. Rise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that during economic downturns, you always see alcoholism and suicide go up. And I mean, now it could yeah. be unprecedented. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. be moderate, be abstain from uh, alcohol and false equivalent. <laughs> right? Thank you, Catherine. Talk to you soon. Okay, okay bye.